0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we're talking about bites, but not bites of food, the bites that come along with itching and doctor visits. Many people love the outdoors, but we have to be mindful of the small and often hidden dangers, like ticks. So today, we welcome back to the show Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center to talk about tick bites. Also, Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions. So join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org so good morning hope that uh, everyone is doing well this morning good morning good morning and uh everyone survived uh halloween i i, I well, we're all here so i guess the answer to that is yes yeah,
2: the power went out at my house it, oh how it, very it, spooky still, it was off when i left this morning so it was a little added to the intrigue of the storm dark and stormy night.
1: Uh, I had uh, the woke up uh, sometime early this morning, and it was raining very heavily in, in Pearl. But uh, as far as I know, at least in my area of the town, it uh, was not a lot of high winds or anything. But it certainly was raining hard, that's for sure. Uh, a quick mention, Dr. Major, um, about pets and candy, I think especially chocolate. Uh, what are some, some warnings or some things to keep in mind when there's all this extra candy around from Halloween and you might have a pet in your house? Gosh.
3: I guess most of it is going to be consumed by parents and kids. But uh, really, the problem is leaving it out and having the dog, primarily dog. Cats usually kind of avoid it, but that's not to say that they couldn't. Uh, But certainly the dark chocolate is is much more apt to cause a problem. However, if they eat a significant amount, uh, a lot of the uh, candy and chocolates are fatty and can cause pancreatitis. We see or at least a gastroenteritis, so be sure to put up your uh, treats where the dog cannot get them, and I think it would be a good idea. We we tend to see, going into the holiday season now, this is almost Thanksgiving, not quite. We just tend to see much more uh, gastroenteritis type situations. You can call it garbage gut. You can call it uh, overeating uh, or eating spoiled food. So it's the time of year that you really need to be cautious
1: uh, with uh, both candies and with food. All right. And I'm going to invoke what I, I call executive privilege and have a, a pet question of my own. <clears throat> so um, my cat doesn't particularly like being picked up and carried around. But, you, but for most of the time when I do that, he begrudgingly allows me to do so. However, uh, I have the type of flea, uh, tick or flea medicine that you squeeze on, you know, the topical. And so uh, what I'll do, it comes in the little plastic tube and I'll just snip the top off because it's easier once I get the cat to not have to do that. After I do that, he knows for some way that that's why I'm picking him up and he does not agreed to that and actually scratched the heck out of my arm uh the last time i tried to do it so is his sense of smell that good that he is smelling the the t- the, the medicine or is he just smarter than i think he is
3: probably both <laughs> uh, I, I would suspect though that uh, you know say what you want to our, our pets can read our minds uh just like if say hey we're going to the vet today you don't tell the pet that but as you start looking for a cat especially it's gone uh, they have a hiding place <laughs> And uh, whether or not he can smell that or not, I, I would suggest using a towel. Mm-hmm. If you if you can do it, maybe use a towel sometime when you're not going to put something on it just to kind of throw him off. But uh, I would say that uh, if you could kind of wrap up make a burrito out of the cat. And uh, remember, with the cat, you need to put the uh, flea and tick medication right at the base of the skull. Mm-hmm because they can tend to turn around and lick if it's on their shoulder, and they may lick the hair off completely. It doesn't really cause that much of a problem with the cat, other
1: than it will neutralize, in a large extent, the flea and tick medicine. And, you know, before this one, I'd, I'd gotten a pretty good of doing that, kind of pinning him down on the couch and then <laughs> squirting there right behind his neck. But for but whatever reason, this dose, he, he kind of got loosed, and we had a little bit of a, 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 a go in there for the a cat, few minutes.
3: The cat knows exactly what you're going to do. The thing, other thing I would rec- say, and just as a word of caution, please don't use the
1: dog uh,
3: medication, uh, flea and tick medication on the
1: cat. Okay. Uh, so, we're going to be talking today with uh, Dr. Robert Galley about tick bites. So, if you have a question or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Before we jump into things, though, and I apologize, Libby, you no, always have some events to share with us. Let's,
2: uh, yes, a few things that people have talked to me about. Uh, the Natural Science Museum exhibit, In the Dark, if you want to continue learning about the animals that flourish in the dark and that uh, really live their lives mostly at night. That's a great exhibit. And then Tuesday, November the 6th, at noon, there's a lecture there by Molly Fokers from the Coastal Audubon, and uh, she'll be talking about coastal birds.
1: She's been on the show before with us. She has
2: been on the show before, and yes, we just didn't get her on before the lecture this (laughs) year, but maybe... Well, another time. And then uh, the Crosby Arboretum down in Picayune. We don't hear from them too often, but the Piney Woods Festival is going to be going on. And uh, Kathy Shropshire's going to be there being Fannie Cook. So if you haven't seen that performance, it's a good time to do it. And there are lots of other fun things going on, celebrating the Piney Woods, a unique part of Mississippi, a unique ecosystem. And uh the Fanny Cook presentation will be uh I think at six o'clock that day. And then Vicksburg, the Vicksburg Library and Lorelei Bookstore are co sponsors on a another program, uh, again Fanny Cook and that's gonna be at ten AM in the morning at the uh Vicksburg Library.
1: Okay. All right. So, as I mentioned, our guest is uh, Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center. Dr. Galley, thanks for joining us again uh, to, to this time, talk about ticks. Happy to be here. So, uh, uh, you are on, I think, a couple of weeks ago when we kind of concentrated on snake bites. Have, have you seen any of those come through the emergency room uh, the last couple of weeks? Several. Okay. <laughs> we
3: had one the next day. <laughs> it was kind of strange when you start talking about things they appear, but it was a. A rather large dog, and he stuck his nose down, and a, and a cotton mouth, uh, caught him right on the nose, hmm. and he's fine.
4: We had a guy who uh, reached out for a snake to try to catch him, and of course the snake bit him, so he reached out with his other hand, <laughs> and of course the snake bit him.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, that's, that's an interesting. <clears throat> I guess, you know, you might as well have a pair of snake bites there. Uh, so when we talk about tick, what exactly is a tick?
4: Um, a tick is arachnid, just like our friends the spiders. I can say friends because it's still Halloween season. <laughs> <you know? clears throat> um, they go through four stages. Um, uh, there's the egg stage, the larval stage, the nymph stage, and then the adult. And the nymph stage is the one of those those tiny little, I guess you'd call them sugar ticks, tiny little things that kind of find a curious little spots in your body that you never think to look at until you finally start getting a little bit of an itch. They have a tendency to crawl up your legs and find nice, warm, moist areas in your crotch and your belly button. Um, and uh, they take their blood meal, and then they drop off, and that allows them to move on to the next stage, which is the adult stage. Once they become adults, they have something like 3,000 eggs at a time. Wow. So <clears throat> it kind of keeps the process rolling.
1: hmm and uh, in addition to um, humans, uh, uh, Doctor Major, pets are—I mean, ticks are a major problem uh, for pets too. So, um, and I guess maybe this would work both for for humans and 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 pets. Maybe if you've been out in the in the woods enjoying the outdoors, what are some tips and pointers uh, to do after you come back to make sure that you don't you didn't grab a, a tick along the way? Thoughts either way.
3: Well, I think just like with kids, our, our pets, I mean, if you've got kids out playing in the grass in the woods, you need to inspect them uh, because they're not going to pick up on that. And the same thing is true with the dog. Now, cats are a little bit unusual. If a cat is healthy and okay, they groom themselves fastidiously. And a lot of times you won't see ticks on a cat unless they're a sick cat. And that it's not to say that they can't have them, but very rarely do we see the ticks on the cat. Dogs, on the other hand, I, sometimes you, we hate to even count how many they might come in contact with, literally hundreds, uh, and they can cause some, we can talk about some of the things that they can cause, very similar to uh, things that happen in humans, but inspection is good, and frankly, a lot of times our dogs will bring in ticks into the house and can therefore get on humans as well.
1: Uh, So, Dr. Galley, you mentioned that, uh, especially in that one stage, they like to find areas that uh, we might not expect them to be in. So what would you say for uh, someone who maybe went out hiking or something, enjoying the outdoors, maybe when they came back, you know, a quick check, some tips that they might uh, keep in mind?
4: Uh, Many people recommend that's a good time for a shower. You've been outside anyway, hustling around in the hot sun, and so uh, get back inside, get yourself in front of a mirror, and inspect yourself really well. Some people would say flexoril, muscle relaxers. So that you're limber enough to be able to stick your head all the way back down and kind of sh- <laughs> <laughs> and check <Okay>. every corner. <laughs> yeah, I use a hand mirror.. <laughs> kind of
2: works,
1: okay, there. Yeah. okay uh, we need to take a quick break. Uh, when we return, we'll continue talking about tick bites. Uh, also Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions. So call in with questions and comments. The number is one877 MPB ring. It's one 7464. And during the break, think about this question How many different species of tick call Mississippi home? We'll have the answer after the break, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day is Dr. Robert Galley. We're talking about tick bites and we're taking your pet questions, and as always, we always like to hear your encounters with wildlife. So to join the conversation with a phone call, the number is 1 MPB Ring. It's 1 877 672 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org we do have an an email to get to but before the break we ask the question how many different species of tick call mississippi home the answer is 19 different species exist in mississippi only a few are known to bite humans the most common tick is the lone star tick or deer tick found in all 82 counties uh dr galley is that something that we need to be worried about That particular one.
4: Well, yeah, the Lone Star is responsible for a number of of different diseases. And, of course, that's the thing we get concerned about. 19 is an interesting number because there are over 19 different diseases that ticks can transmit as well as uh, uh, some allergies.
1: All right. Um, And we're going to delve into that uh, throughout the show. We do have an email here that says we used to have two cats. One cat weighs about 11 pounds. We have one dose of Pet Armor Advanced Flea Treatment for cat 5 to 9 pounds. Should we go ahead and use this one dose on the 11-pound cat, or will it be ineffective?
3: I would go on and use it, yes. It may be a little bit under, but probably it would work fine. Okay. And uh, I suppose that would be the best answer for that.
1: All right. Uh, We've got a caller on the line, and so why don't we say good morning to Don from Long Beach. Don, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Morning.
5: Hey, my question, unfortunately, is reference to bats. I know I'm about two weeks late, but uh, is there a time frame where, like, uh, nuisance bats shouldn't be disturbed? Like, uh, because they're either having their young or they're mating or... um, Yes. Just, uh, someone had told me uh, April to October, you shouldn't disturb the bats.
2: And I'd have to look, I know it's a little different for different species, but April from October would give you a, a wide range there. And yes, when the when the moms have the babies, they will, you know, the babies will stay if, if they're in your attic or in a tree or, you know, wherever, the babies will stay there at night while the mom's out flying. So if you try to exclude them from the house, the mothers won't be able to come back, and of course that's be a terrible you know a, a terrible death i guess for those babies is the only way to put it that uh and plus you wouldn't get rid of all the bats that way and some moms may stay back if they're giving birth that night too so there're just a lot of reasons why it's better to deal with them afterwards do you have you have a bat issue or are you bat watching
5: well, I responded to one, and it was an apartment complex, and the manager said that the, she was told that she couldn't do anything until uh, after October uh, because uh, um, basically you're not to disturb the bats during that time frame, April y- to October.
2: If you, to get a little more guidance on that, if um, you want to call the, the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science and Actually, tell them that you'd to like to talk to some. yeah i already
5: got a call out to them i'm waiting for a call back great okay
2: yeah they'll they'll be able to to direct you a little bit more as to what to do yeah good luck right. bats are great things in the environment but when they get in our structures
4: it can be a problem
1: thanks don for calling in this morning uh dr Gabby. do bats ever carry ticks
4: I'm not aware they carry rabies. That's the thing I'd worry about the most, okay. bats do have the
2: what they call a bat bug, and I thought they were ticks, but they're evidently they're not and I know a couple of bat biologists that will call me if I'm wrong uh, you remember Audrey Harrison that comes on with mm-hmm. insects? I have been with a group of um the the bat working group is what they call themselves, and they put up bat nets and we caught some bats and Audrey was very excited to find the bat bugs on them and they're a flattened specialized bug that you only find on bats and we collected them and she sent them off to a a biologist who studies them so ideally it's not easy to find them but so there may be a tick that specializes on bats too I guess.
3: Did you ever stop to think that you might have some in your hair after checking those? <laughs> uh, well,
2: you kind of want to check that, yeah. Okay, It's a good reason to wear a hat the night when you're checking bat that, that boxes. Yeah, yeah, or nets, yeah. yeah.
1: All right, uh, another call. It's a uh, friend Kathleen from Osaka is on the line with us. Good morning, Kathleen. Go ahead.
6: Well, I got a couple little questions. One: uh, Is it true that guinea hens, or turkeys, or peacocks, any of the birds, do they eat the ticks, or is that just uh, we're dreaming?
2: I've heard that all my life,
3: Kathleen. They're not going to hold the hold a, you know hold an animal down and eat the ticks ticks off of it. But yes, if they're opportunists and if they're on the ground and they can find them, they will eat them. Okay. Anything else? Okay,
6: and then the second question. I've also heard that uh, a lot of people have the uh, idea that hairspray or pine saw or Windex sprayed on a tick bite is a remedy.
4: I'm not quite sure what they're treating. Um, <laughs> the uh, tick bites are t- kind of like mosquito bites um, insofar as they inject proteins into you that are basically... Uh, anticoagulants they don't want your blood to clot because they want to be able to suck out their blood meal and so that foreign protein that gets in you creates a histamine response and you get the typical mosquito bite type of response to that whether or not pine salt is effective in knocking down some of the sensation I'm, i'm not aware that it's that effective i think i'd go with benadryl
1: all right Okay, Kathleen, thanks for the call. You would smell fresh and clean, I we guess, so, like. you know. <laughs> it, uh, you know like <laughs> I don't
4: think it would kill any of the organisms that just got injected into you because I'm sure you're not, it's not penetrating that well.
1: Well, like I say, as they make their way to the emergency room, uh, Dr. Gallo, you know, like I said, they'll, they'll be smelling good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned 19 different uh, diseases. Uh, tell us about some of the diseases that ticks carry.
4: The ones that are, I mean, there are a variety of different things from ehrlichiosis, babesiosis, tularemia. The ones that we may see would uh, be Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Uh, We've had a number of patients who have been to their doctors and, and other emergency departments, and it's not been recognized. When it gets fairly more advanced, you're going to see some Brownish blotches on your palms and on and on your soles. It becomes relatively easy to diagnose this at that point. Diagnose it at that point, and it's uh, and it's easily treated with antibiotics. I, I want to caution folks, and my infectious disease colleagues would slap me if I didn't say this: there is no Lyme disease down here. People have had Lyme disease, but that's because they just took a trip to Connecticut. Um, it was discovered in Connecticut. Alan Steele at Yale had a patient who came to him with this constellation of rash and fevers and, and joint pains and uh, he happened to ask, you know, do you remember having been bit by an animal or a bug and he says, well, yeah, I pulled a tick off. He says, I don't imagine you had the tick. Oh, yeah, I collect ticks. <laughs> and the guy went home to his home in Lyme, Connecticut, hence Lyme disease, and sure enough, that's how they were able to kind of sort out the, the whole problem. We do have... Uh, an entity that is fairly similar, and that's called STARI, which is Southern Tick-Related Rash Illness. Um, STARI, that covers it. Um, And it does have uh, the rash, though not as significant. It does have fevers. It does not have any of the chronic long-term horrors that you see, that possibly see with Lyme disease, those rheumatologic issues of... um, joint problems does not happen with starry and it too is treatable
1: okay so you kind of compared it earlier to a mosquito bite as we all know mosquito comes along bites you gets its blood meal and then they're gone but the tick actually attaches itself to you is that correct
4: yeah but just like the mosquito in in injecting you with whatever chemical that may be they're also injecting you with the organisms that it has inside of it and so that's how you get sick. But yeah, um, unlike the mosquito that can pull a blood meal fairly quickly, a tick will engorge itself to several times its initial size. And so it takes a lot longer to be able to suck all that blood.
2: But, but sometimes you don't find the tick on you and you still Correct. are going to have the reaction to the tick bite because they can fall
4: off.
1: And as you're saying, it's what they're injecting in when they first encounter you that's giving us problems.
4: Except for Powassan, which is not around here, where they can attach just for a very short period of time and inject the organism that makes you sick. Most of the diseases that we get from ticks around here, the tick has to be on for a good period of time before that gets transferred.
1: Okay. So, um, otherwise, though, I mean, at the very least, I would imagine there's going to be some itching, maybe a rash, that kind of thing. Um, And then possibly more severe symptoms later?
4: When I find ticks on me, since I live out in a bit of country as well, I can feel them bite me. Um, and, and if it's the little ones that have very smaller mouth, much smaller mouth parts where you don't get quite the sensation, that's the issue. So if you feel something, obviously check to see what's down there. That That's probably the the key. The um, once you do pull those off is when I find that you feel the itch more than anything else, so when it's real quick like that. Uh, but, yeah, that's the time that you would get that histamine response.
1: And are the ticks laying in wait out in, outdoors just waiting for a nice human to come by to try to get some blood?
4: A quick answer is yes. They're laying in wait, but not necessarily for a human. Uh, they're looking for any organism that may come by, and typically what they do is called questing. So they have eight legs, the two front ones are, are more, can be more of a sensory type thing, but they hang on with their back four legs and literally stand up and reach out to anything that comes along and just kind of brushes up against it where they transfer onto whatever organism that might be.
1: And so then what are some um, animals that might sort of play a role in the ticks uh, being spread?
4: Well, they'll grab on to just about anything uh, possible, and so that's when they'll take their blood meal and then they'll move on to their next stage. That gives us that difficult problem that's newly discovered, which is the alpha-gal allergic reaction, which can lead to anaphylaxis, and that's that's a bit of a long story, but it's one that's really worth covering.
1: All right, well, you had mentioned that during the break, so, so tell us about the, the allergy involved here.
4: So uh, galactose alpha-1,3-galactose is a, is a protein that is in all mammals except primates. So monkeys, apes, us. Um, so we do not have that. Now, if a tick grabs onto a raccoon or a deer, takes a blood meal, and sucks out that alpha-gal, and it's in its GI tract and then soon thereafter adheres to a human and now injects the alpha-gal protein into the human, the human develops an IgE kind of allergic response to that. What that means is that's now in your bloodstream, and you have a, a reaction anytime time you will come in contact with alpha-gal again. So the next time you have a hamburger, alpha-gal is in it, And your body says, whoa. And usually about five to eight hours afterwards, you get an acute, well, subacute, but a significant allergic reaction um, that can lead to anaphylaxis and death. We've had a number of cases of people come in really quite sick. It's obviously a bit more difficult to be able to make that diagnosis. An allergist can do skin testing to be able to determine that. The problem is it lasts anywhere from eight months to five years. And while you can eat all the chicken and fish you want, you better stay away from your sirloin. And it's true for venison, too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's correct.
3: Dr. Dr. Galley, is this a more, we're diagnosing it more, or is it a newer thing that's just now starting to be uh, apparent?
4: I think acute allergic reactions are one of the most difficult things that we have to deal with in the emergency department. Not so much the treatment, but as to figuring out how that happened and how to keep it from happening again. And you're going to have physicians say, well, did you change the soap that you use? Are you using a different laundry detergent? Did you eat something that you weren't familiar with? Uh, did you put a perfume on? Now we're asking, have you been bit by a tick recently? And did you just have a hamburger a few hours ago? Because um, it, it, and un, unlike Lyme disease, which is not in the South... There's a 32% greater incidence of alpha-gal in the south than elsewhere in the country.
1: Okay, you're listening to Creature Comforts. We need to take another break. When we get back, we will continue talking about tick bites this morning. Uh, So give us a call with your questions and also pet questions at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-MPB. 672-7464 you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org when we come back from the break we'll dispel some myths about how to remove a tick once you've gotten bitten is it a good idea to burn it off with a hot match we'll find out after the break so stay tuned
5: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using
1: any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, is Dr. Robert Galley. We've been talking about tick bites, and uh, we're looking for your tick questions and also pet-related questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Galley, if you're out and about and you know that you have been bitten by a tick, should you go to the emergency room? What should you do if you if you've been bitten?
4: Um, I would take it off. By and large, nothing is going to happen except you'll have that mosquito bite kind of a feeling and you'll kind of scratch for a little while. At least that's been my experience, unless somehow or other there's something growing inside me I'm not aware (laughs) of. (laughs) Um, But to get it off really is the key, and I think that's where the questioning goes. There's several different devices that you can purchase on the interweb. Um, that for a couple of bucks, they're basically pieces of plastic with a tiny little wedge cut out of them. I would not recommend putting a match to it because you'll probably burn yourself as well. Um, it's not a great experience for the tick, but who knows whether or not they're going to kind of release all of their contents in you because they're attached to you. The important thing to remember is not to grab the tick and squeeze it and pull it out. Because you literally are taking that entire contents of the tick and squeezing it in yourself and giving yourself a fairly good size injection. You want to be certain to kind of grab it at the mouth parts, which is right at the level of your skin. Grab that and pull it out, which is why a pair of tweezers or these little devices work very well. You can even get yourself a plastic spoon and just cut out a tiny little wedge and use that. And basically... You slide that underneath the tick's body, grab it, and pop it off. Okay,
2: It's, it's almost more like scraping it off, Exactly isn't, right. Instead mm-hmm. of pulling yep. it out.
4: <laughs> you
3: probably would recommend, like if you have a dog that has a lot of ticks, to put on a pair of gloves when you take those ticks off, if you're going to take them off yourself, rather than run the chance of having a cut on your hand and then get some of this.
1: Uh, Good point. You know, uh, and also, Doctor Major, I would imagine for the same reasons uh, that Doctor Galley talked about, that the, a similar procedure, if you're trying to remove uh, ticks from from a pet, so to make sure that you're not squeezing uh, the contents of right. them into into your dog or whatever. Right.
3: And in most cases, we don't get that intense little uh, paritic uh, type thing with the dogs. They yeah. usually release quite readily. Uh, sometimes we will have an area where they might uh, have a reaction a little bit more so, like we would have. But usually they release very, very readily.
1: Uh, One other myth that I'm uh, thinking is probably is a myth. Coat the tick with clear nail polish or petroleum jelly to suffocate it.
4: (laughs) That would take longer than I'd have the patience for. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I want that thing off of me. (laughs) All
1: right, we've got some callers to get to. Uh, Let's begin again in Memphis. Willie's on the line with us. Good morning, Willie. Go ahead, please.
0: Yeah, I have a... I'm allergic to red meat, like you had said, and my doctor had told me that I would probably have that for the rest of my life. And you just said just a little bit ago, it's last eight months to five years. And I was wondering, you know, will I ever be able to eat
4: beef again? <laughs> just like um, most people nowadays are shocked to even hear it. Physicians are as well, and to be honest, our experience has not been all that great with it. Um, if you're following a patient and it's been several years and they're still allergic, you're going to say, my gosh, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of this. The experience, however, is now starting to show that, that there, um, are, there is kind of a, a, of a time frame to it and that many patients are, are, are finding that they're doing better. I would do that completely under the care of an allergist um, in in order to be certain that that one time that you decide, well, let me see if I'm okay now, you want to make sure you're not doing that out in the wilderness someplace. You need to make certain that there is adequate medical care that's around you. I guess the point to tell you is that a, a good number of places in the literature is now suggesting that this is not a completely lifetime event.
1: All right, Willie. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's move on. Next, we've got uh, Curtis in South Haven. Good morning, Curtis. You're on the air with us. Morning.
7: How are you? Thank you. We're doing good. Uh, you know, I, uh, I just called because I thought the the importance of this subject is it's becoming more and more important because it seems to be so prolific in the south here. Uh, I recently bought some land or last year in Arkansas and went to hunt on, and I remember getting bit by a tick. Two months later, I wound up in the hospital for four days about eight months after that for another three days and then later on uh uh, an emergency room visit well they advised me to take benadryl if i started realizing the symptoms again before i went so uh at this point they told me look um you need to be allergy tested well because the the test is so expensive the va where i go uh they say they're reluctant but they pushed it through and they came back and said have you been bit by a tick and i said well yeah absolutely and so but since then, now we know we've identified that I've got the because I went into anaphylactic shock twice at least, and uh, we found out how serious this is. It'd it like to kill me the two times, but um, what I'm experiencing now is uh, I still have gut pains at night. Um, uh, you know, this has been probably six months since my last episode, but in uh, about four months since we actually identified that it was the alpha gal, but. I'm just wondering I guess those gut pains are still related.
4: You know that's hard to say on on the radio. Um there uh there is a well-known entity of uh, allergy response that is in the intestines and you start getting that same histamine type uh, wheel and flare kind of, of reaction, but it's in your intestines, and, and that then would cause some cramping that's going on. So it could be associated with that. It's hard for me to say that that's specifically the answer, though.
1: All right, uh, Curtis, thanks for your call. Uh, let's move on. We've got Vicky in Mobile. Good morning, Vicky. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
6: Hi. Thank you for taking my call. My question isn't related to the ticks except that um, – I have a trouble, I manage a small farm, 85 acres, it's got a big pond, we have beaver, otter, nutra, something, trouble. What do I do to get rid of them? And do they carry, are they rabid? Can they be in trouble, any trouble, to livestock?
2: Now, all right, first off, you're, you're saying you don't know what animal you have? Tell me about, um, what is the problem? What's What do they do? They're
6: in the pond, okay. and we want to get rid of them for, we don't want them to eat the fish or the vegetation. We want to keep the vegetation for the fish.
2: Okay, all right. The, the, they're not going to eat fish if you're talking yes. about, unless it's an otter. Uh, um, f- are they building dams? Yeah, you really need to observe what. Okay, so probably you've got beaver, which is a very common thing to do to have.
6: I have. Um, I have taken a picture. One person has said it's it's uh, neutral because of the tail. I got up close and it was a beaver. Could we have both? Yeah. Where do you? Where is this? Uh, Wilmer, North Mobile County. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. There you probably could. Um you're not in Mississippi I was about to give you Mississippi names uh the extension service might be a good place there for you to start they'll know okay. what you can legally do and they will um, know of contractors that can probably help you uh you don't yeah you don't probably need to get out there just doing things on your own but beaver are not incompatible with fish if you're raising fish in the pond in fact, they, you know, some people, there's that debate. You know, beaver don't seem to go where people want them to be, but they seem to go where you don't want them to be. That's kind of how things are. But uh, some people live very successfully with beaver. Some cannot. They'll talk to you about what the beaver will or won't do. But, um, you know, you've moved into the beaver's habitat probably. He's not moved into yours. And, you uh, They've been cohabitating what kind of fish do you have in the pond or have you have you stocked it?
6: work here and they are you know there's too many of them around we think and we don't want them to ruin the drain that comes from yeah. the wall you know that fills the pond and yeah. that's what my boss thinks he's yeah. been here four years that's what he thinks they're doing is preventing. The pond from filling natural like it's right. supposed to. Yeah, they can, they and
3: that's can, they, they can yeah. damage. They can damage the dam. Uh, certainly, it's yeah. possible. Remember this, and I, I think you do need some professional help. Your uh, wildlife and fisheries also should be able okay. to yeah. help you. Extension okay. service should give you some ideas. If there are otters there, I'm pretty sure they're federally protected. So you have to be kind of careful yep. with what you do. Okay. It's not a okay.
2: federal protection, but there may be a, there'll I, be a state. Yeah.
3: Okay.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: they've got
1: yeah. yeah. All right, Vicki, we appreciate your call. Thanks for joining into the program this morning. Uh, we're talking primarily today about tick bites with our guest, Dr. Robert Galley. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, uh, Dr. Galley, I guess with our pets, you know, there's tick and flea control, and there's some things that we could do. Is there anything? That humans can do to help prevent uh, ticks uh, latching onto them.
4: Uh, you can sit in your car all day. <laughs> <laughs> I think the more you're going to get out into the woods where they are, the greater the likelihood that you're going to find you're going to pick up a traveler. Um, there, there are some chemicals that people would suggest. The CDC website talks about pyrethrins It talks about and spraying your clothes and leaving them out to dry and then wearing them. And that lasts through several washings. Um, DEET is certainly something that's used. There's also a, a lemon eucalyptus oil if you want to go more the natural uh, way, which probably smells fairly nice. Um, I don't know of any studies that talk about the effectiveness of that, but if it's on the CDC website, chances are someone has researched it.
2: Yeah. Spraying your, like, from your knees down, I think, particularly is important. Your shoes and your socks and the lower part of your pant leg tends to be where they're going to attach.
1: And uh, when you told us the story about Lyme disease, you said that the the person had saved the tick. If if you remove a tick and are going to the emergency room, would it be a good idea to put it in a little plastic baggie and bring it along?
4: Well, I wouldn't recommend going to the emergency department unless you actually have symptoms. If you okay. just pulled a tick off, you're going to wind up using up all your medical insurance. And, and uh, that's the medical reasons are the largest reason for bankruptcy in the United States. So you don't wanna just show up just because you got a a tick bite. Um, It it would not be inappropriate to, if you have them infrequently enough to hang on to it. Um, Mostly paying attention to the fact that you had a tick bite and then monitoring your health after that is probably enough to be able to let physicians know that there could be a tick associated with this and that's the etiology would be an important thing. We are not as equipped as Yale's research to be able to analyze the organism and to try to determine or to culture it up. So um, it, that's not as, as likely.
1: Okay. Uh, let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we will continue our discussion with our guest, Dr. Robert Galley, about tick bites. Also, Dr. Major still here, ready to take some pet questions. The number to call if you'd like to join in, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two. 672 7464. Or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up the program after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day, Dr. Robert Galley from the University Medical Center. We've been talking about tick bites. Uh, and uh, we've got some calls to get to, so why don't we go ahead and jump right back on the phone lines, Uh, beginning again in Enville, Mississippi. Scotty Ray has joined us. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Good morning, y'all. Hey. I I was just wondering, I'm 57, and I've been getting ticks off myself all my life, and especially in the last few years, I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say there's some days, like those little bitty ones, I'll get 30 of those off of me. And I pull them off of me in the summertime when it's tick season. I pull them off of me constantly, and I don't think anything about it because I've been getting them off of me all my life, and they've never been a problem. They don't freak me out, but they sure do freak out my girlfriend. And um, so I guess I'm asking about ways to keep ticks off of me. And 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 should I be alarmed that I've never had a problem with them? I mean, um, you know, I've never been sick from them or anything.
4: I think you should be happy that you've never had anything wrong with you. As it turns out, that's probably the most common experience. I think, you know, you read the newspaper and you hear about all these people have this horrible illness. The incidence of that is really very low considering the number of ticks that people pull pull off of themselves, Uh, which is why the comment is the minute you see a tick, don't necessarily run to see your doctor right away. It's not likely that anything's going to happen. We mentioned a couple of things earlier about spraying your clothes, um, I think it would probably make your girlfriend feel a lot better if you went to that CDC website and uh, and found a couple of the tricks. She might prefer the lemon eucalyptus oil to perhaps some chemical, but there are a variety of different things that you can try.
1: All right. Uh, thanks for your call. Let's move on next. We've got uh, Kevin in Columbus. Good morning, Kevin. Go ahead, please.
0: Hey, yeah. Um, I just want to tell you
5: that I uh, had a tick buried into my leg last year. And I took straight deep and sprayed on there a couple times, just rubbed it in, all in the tick, and then, you know, the skin and everything. The tick finally backed on off in about an hour, and I was able to remove it.
4: That's probably not a surprise. Um, And and I will tell you that as much as we say, oh, you just get one of these little devices, grab it by the mouth parts, and just kind of pluck it off – you know, when this gets down into deep crevices of your belly button, if you're an in uh, any, <laughs> yeah. then they are. That is difficult to be able to get to, and, and perhaps your approach um, is a good one.
1: All right, thanks for the call, Kevin. Uh, let's move on next. It's Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Good
2: morning. I just wanted to ask uh, if a person suspects that they might be having a medical problems caused by tick bite, is, are there any blood tests that can be done by the doctor to determine that?
4: Yeah, I would I would say that there are a number of different possible things that can be done. And so the testing that your physician would consider would be based on the symptoms that you're presenting with.
1: All right, Sue, thanks for your call. Uh, let's go next to Tupelo. Barry's on the line. Good morning, Barry. Go ahead, please.
7: Uh, yes, good morning. I just wanted to report that a week ago we lost our little dog to a, a disease, a tick bite. Uh, related, uh, disease. Uh, she was sick for about two weeks and, uh, the vet had a hard time diagnosing. Finally, they screened her for a, you know, tick related disease. And, uh, she came up with two different strains, one of which was Rocky mountain fever. She really had a difficult time the last few hours of her life. So just wanted to put people on notice. Uh, her symptoms were, you know, vomiting, lethargy. She wouldn't eat. And, um, So it was a a, a real sad loss to us.
3: Right. And when we get into an advanced state like that, uh, certainly it can be uh, disheartening. One of the things in a screening test that we see when we we do blood work, sometimes we'll see dogs that uh, have almost no platelets. And it seems that uh, with Rocky Mountain spotted fever, it's a tip-off that we need to do a tick panel to be sure there's nothing uh, nothing else like Rocky Mountain spotted fever. I'm sorry, sorry for the loss. I know it's disheartening, but uh, thanks for your call.
4: To be clear, what makes blood testing the more difficult when you're looking for a specific disease is that the human body, or perhaps the dog, then, needs to create antibodies to that particular illness, and it takes a week to 10 days for that to happen. So the initial presentation, those blood tests might be negative and eventually turn positive.
1: Uh, but I guess the the idea here might be both for your pets and yourself. If you have been outside enjoying the outdoors and come up with some symptoms in the in the, maybe a week or so following, that would be something that you would want to tell your vet or tell your physician for sure, because that might be a likely cause of, of what you're suffering from.
4: And it's probably not the most common thing that a physician is going to ask you about. Um, We keep on telling residents I work at University Medical Center and we train docs all the time. You know, a a travel history is important. A a social history is important. The kind of work that you do is important because it brings all other kind of factors uh, uh, related to that potential event uh, to the fore. Patients volunteering that is a very important thing.
1: Uh, we've got about two minutes left in the show. We've talked uh, We talked last time you were here a couple of weeks ago about snakes. We've talked primarily today about ticks. Uh, what are other bite type of things do you see most common? Uh, would spiders kind of be next on the list?
4: Spiders are complained about an awful lot, but typically spiders don't bite people. Um, the stuff that people say, well, that's a spider bite, winds up becoming a folliculitis, a little infection of one of your hair follicles. It usually is warm. It's pink. Um, and, and it may have a little pustule that's on it. Um, and docs always treat them with antibiotics. If if you're bitten by a spider, that's a toxin. You don't treat toxins with antibiotics. So most of the time, what people are calling spider bites are really um, infections and the bacteria around us all over. It is said that there is a patina of stool covering the face of the earth. <laughs>
1: So I had, uh, several weeks ago, had something that I thought was a spider bite. I had gone somewhere, and there was a sharp, kind of a sharp pain, uh, and it, I couldn't see anything, and it, it turned red for three or four days and then went away. Um, I, and nothing's happened since, so obviously nothing nothing to worry about, but it might not necessarily have been a spider bite, I
4: guess. And it could have been a spider bite. And the likelihood of any other organism doing that and getting exactly that same reaction They bite you, they inject you with something, your body locally responds to it. But consider the amount of venom that they have relative to the size of you. If they are trying to kill something the size of a mosquito, you're many times that, and you can typically handle whatever it is they're trying to get to you, which is why really the black widow and the uh, brown recluse are the two principal spiders that we worry about, and their presentations are quite uh, typical.
1: All right, 30 seconds left. Just a quick uh, p- pivot here. Mosquito bites, uh, any th- things that you know to ease the itching, or is it pretty much you just got to kind of ride it out?
4: You kind of have to ride it out, but when we talk about diseases that ticks pass on, pay attention to mosquitoes. Um, they'll be buzzing around in your house, and they you may think it's an annoyance, but when we start thinking of all the illnesses that... that um, Mosquitoes can pass. I'd pay real close attention to them, probably more so uh, than the tick.
1: All right, Uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funded in part by you, our listeners, and a big thanks uh, to everyone who helped us out on our recent fundraising drive. If you're new here, today's show or a previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org/slash creature comforts our show is produced by java chapman and our call screener today was michelle mcadoo so for dr troy major libby hartfield and our guest dr robert galley i'm kevin farrell up next it's our newest program it's autocorrect with the lady auto mechanic allison walker we'll be back next thursday at nine for another creature comforts it's heard only on mpb think radio